Leading a school district is a unique responsibility, and it's clearly not getting any easier. People rely on you for answers to complicated problems, which feels isolating and sometimes unrealistic. Conferences or webinars, even good ones, don't solve problems when you need it. And sitting and staring at slides with someone talking at you doesn't help either. What if there was a better way? What if you belong to a national, hand-picked community of Java-alike school leaders who could circle up to strategize and solve your most challenging problems when you need it? What if you had access to ongoing content that helped you solve problems and lead every day? There is a better way. When you join Leading Ed Solutions, you'll join a carefully selected, highly committed group of Java-like peers from across the country, a support system beyond your backyard, school leaders helping other school leaders. Real people tracking real issues in real time. Simply submit your challenge. We'll circle you up with your peers to provide solutions. Our content works because it's accessible, practical, and created by proven leaders just like you. You don't have to lead alone. Apply to Leading Ed today and discover why circles are better than rows. Ladies and gentlemen, how are you? My name is Jeff Rose and I am the founder of Leading Ed. And without going too much into a commercial, basically this is what we are. We're a community of leaders, mostly superintendents, but also their executive teams. So that could be assistant superintendents, both on the academic and operational side of the house. And the concept behind us is that we connect leaders, leaders to leaders. We circle up relative to problems and challenges, and we believe in collective wisdom. And we're about 150 strong these days and growing. And we do a few different things. And one of the things we do is we just bring relative content. We want to make sure our content is pragmatic, is digestible, but it's leader to leader. And this is one of the new ways, a leader chat, we call it, that really describes um, how one leader can also translate his or her experience to another. So today I have a, a great guest with me. Um, I'm going to be introducing here in just a second Dr. Clayton Wilcox. Um, now Clayton is a friend of mine, so I'm going to leave that part till the end, but I will tell you that Clayton is a proven leader with a demonstrated record of accomplishment in the private and public sectors. He has served as superintendent of Charlotte-Mecklenburg Schools, Washington County Public Schools, Pinellas County Schools, and East Baton Rouge Parish School System. He's a nationally recognized leader in applying first-generation technologies in the K-12 environment and a visionary leader with a proven track record in the private and public sectors. Now, he's created Thoughts to Lead. It's his new venture. He, and he brings this, you know, blend of experience and passion to leaders, seeking to inform professionally and personally. Dr. Wilcox has coached and mentored leaders as they build businesses and their personal brand. He has written and released his new book, Leadership in Crisis, and that is what we're going to be discussing today, where he documents the challenges of leadership. In this book and his essays, he leads a conversation examining how we capture the leadership moment and how we can thrive in turbulent times. Now, before I get into specifically um, the book and invite him in, um, I, I, I bring up the cover here. I could, of course, you know, bring up the, my you know, um, highlighted mess of a book, 
But in the meantime, I'll tell you that one thing that was really interesting, and we'll get into that here in a second, is how, how honest Clayton is. Um, Clayton is 100% transparent, which I think is um, a rarity in leadership. I actually think leaders have a really hard time being transparent and honest and being collaborative because they're expected often to own the room and to demonstrate confidence every minute of the day. But Clayton is experienced and he is poised and he is confident and therefore he is humble. And he humbles himself um, in such an eloquent way in this book. And even when you look at the cover, I'm going to be asking him about this here in a second, but I still believe in the, the compelling story of crisis and faith. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let me introduce Clayton Wilcox. Clayton, good to see you. And um, everyone, Clayton is a friend of mine. He um, has helped me a great deal in leading Ed and has served as an incredible partner. But Clayton, you're doing, uh, you're doing incredible work. And I, I, I love this book. So thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. And, you know, most importantly, thanks for your friendship over the years. Um, you know, one of the themes in the book is about how you test your true friends and who, who they are. And I will tell you, there are a lot of people who kind of ghosted me after I resigned from Charlotte Mecklenburg. But you are not one of those people. You're one of the leaders that I turn to. And so thanks for making this time. Well, it's interesting. You know, you, you and I have actually um, grown, you know, we've, we were both superintendents at the same time, right, a number of different places. Um, but since we have left, um, it's been interesting sharing that with you because we've, gone, we've grown closer, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that the shared experience of no longer sitting in that seat but being able to look back and reflect on what we did well, but also what we would have done differently if we could do it again has just been an incredible journey. Of course, I haven't documented it in a book. I'm not that impressive like, like yourself, but um, I think that's been interesting how, how we've grown together in a way. Yeah. You know, honestly, it's been one of the blessings um, of kind of the post-superintendent life is to get to know some of the people um, that were doing the work better. Um, and to not only, you know, kind of reflect on your own career, but take a look at how others are doing it and perhaps lend them some expertise that you may have or just be there as a sounding board to kind of listen to what they're going through. And quite honestly, I'm finding that's some of the most rewarding work that I do right now. And that's just listening, just listening to others talk about the challenges of leading in a COVID environment, but just the challenge that's changed leadership today. So maybe just, you know, catch us up. You know, what are you doing these days? What's what's life like for you right now? Well, life is good. Um, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of work with school districts, um, but more I'm spending time with um, private sector customers, if you will, clients who are, you know, looking to enter the K-12 space uh, or education in general, either in an area of safety and security, social emotional health, or, you know, they may be even a, a curricular product and they want to say, well, you know, how is the best way um, to come about this? And Jeff, you'll recognize this work from the standpoint of you and I were co-superintendents in an organization some time ago that really sought to bring the private sector and the K-12 leaders together to say, how do we create a synergy here that really is good for kids? And so what I've tried to do is just kind of continue that model on, but on an individual basis. Um, and it's been really rewarding. Beyond that, uh, I've built a wine cellar in my house. Um, I've sampled a lot of really good wines in preparation for that. And I'm really just enjoying life in a way that I hadn't before. 
Well, I know about the wine cellar, ladies and gentlemen. We have we have members, right? Our our members. We gather them together, and one thing Clayton and I did uh, before the the winter holidays is um, we had uh, kind of a wine event with no content, and literally um, all we did was our members signed up. Clayton had chosen the wine, a, a red and a white. We sent a bottle to their home and. People jumped online, and we did nothing but tell stories and make toasts and um, give our leaders a break. And so, Clayton, thanks for helping with that as you were Zooming from your new wine cellar. That was fun. Yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. It actually taught me a lot about skills that I don't have and uh, <laughs> caught me up on, uh, on my YouTube viewing. And I, I think now I've finished YouTube uh, in terms of construction. <laughs> well, hey, it's, 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 it's good to be humbled. Um, so, you know, we have these themes in Leading Ed, and we're this year, especially every month, we're bringing kind of content relative to a particular theme. So this month, we're really focusing on leadership, self-care, and state of mind. And it's probably obvious as to why we're doing that for superintendents and their executive teams. But it's always important, but, you know, especially now. And as we chose that theme... Clayton, you immediately came to mind because um, I do have a signed copy of your book for which I've read, and I thought this conversation would just be extremely relevant for for our members um, and possibly even beyond. So maybe just start with the why behind the book. Why? Well, you know, Jeff, over my last um, two superintendents' positions, um, and quite honestly, in my private sector experience while I was in New York. Um, I sensed that something had really changed in terms of how leaders saw themselves um, and perhaps more importantly, how others viewed leaders. And I really thought that what was happening was kind of an erosion of the authority of leadership. And when that, I, I'm not really talking about positional authority. I'm talking about the authority that comes with you know, dedicating your life to something. You know, I, I've spent over 40 years in public education. Um, and so... I think some you develop if you're open to to it some expertise, and I saw the erosion of that, and I saw a lack of confidence um, that others were putting in leaders. Um, I saw a number of people who didn't want to do any of the work but wanted to be seen as a leader, and so I thought it was important that I began to surface that issue, explore the issue, um, and I also thought, you know, in each of my stays. I looked back on it and said, you know, I wonder if the work that we started is being sustained, you know, is it lasting beyond my term there? And I think that's something that most superintendents think about is what happens after I leave. And I looked back and said, you know, the one thing that I didn't do well was develop the leaders that would follow me. I, you know, I, I know a lot of times we talk about that, about succession planning and building leadership capacity or density within your organization. But when I look back at my career, that's one area that I just didn't do well. Um, and so I thought this book was an opportunity for me to begin to give back that way to help shape leaders. And then finally, I'd be lying, Jeff, if I didn't say that, you know, Charlotte Mecklenburg didn't end in the way that I wanted it to. I resigned. Um, but I really wanted selfishly to tell my side of the story a little bit, to kind of use this writing opportunity as a catharsis to kind of say, you know, what, gosh, it didn't have to happen this way. You know, you know what's interesting, though, Clayton, in the book, and um, that may be the case, but um, like you just said, you, you said something a minute ago where you, you mentioned, I didn't do that well. Um, you are just so transparent um, as a person, but also in, in your book. 
And um, that, that reflective leadership um, comes, comes across that I think sometimes is missing in leaders. You know, sometimes um, I call it the yeah, yeah, we do that syndrome. Um, you may ask a leader whether they're developing leaders um, to support the district or organization when they leave. And what you'll typically hear is, yeah, 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 we do that. I do that. Yeah. For everything. Yeah, yeah, we do that. Um, but I find you don't say that, yeah, yeah, we do that. You've just been really, really honest. And, you know, you mentioned in this book, you talk about crisis, right? Uh, crisis and leadership. So I thought maybe we could just explore that a little bit, right? So how do you define crisis? Um, and has your outlook of what crisis is changed over time? You know, Jeff, that, that's a an interesting question. And it's, it's hard for me to answer because I think crisis is oftentimes locally defined and it's defined by the people in the moment um, because what to one may be a crisis isn't a crisis. Um, where, where, where I really kind of made a differentiation is, you know, I talked about crisis being external as opposed to internal. Um, when the world seems like it's falling down around you, then I think that's a crisis. Um, you know, as, as, as I've gotten a little bit older, um, I've started to think that crises are more internally generated. It's how you see things, how you approach things. Um, you know, you have a lot of folks today, for example, who are looking at the loss of instructional time as a crisis. I think in some ways it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to kind of reset what we expect of kids and reset what we value that kids have. You know, I've always been someone who said that kids are learning even if you don't have them in an environment that you're controlling, they're learning something in that time frame. And, you know, I think for courageous leaders, they're sitting back now and saying, you know, this is um, an opportunity and they're not viewing it as a crisis. Um, I, I guess, you know, I, I think the last thing I would say is, you know, when I look at a crisis today, one of the things that helps to define it is, are people attributing blame to it? Because if they're looking to blame somebody, then it probably is a crisis. If there's no blame, then it's an opportunity to move forward. And you know that's kind of where I live right now. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. And you know that you you do talk about in this book heroes. You know heroes, sheroes, etc. There's there, there's a chapter on that. Yeah. And you know kind of about the search for real heroes, sheroes. Um, you know, there, there's a section, like many in it, that you call it uh, my lesson. You call it my lesson, which I thought was interesting. And, you know, you're honest and you talk about how you felt during a very dark and lonely time in your leadership. So what do you want others to learn from your experience? You know, I, I think at the heart of all of it is that I want superintendents to understand um, this. Um, that they can't confuse who they are with what they do or what others think of them. Um, because if you confuse those issues, you're going to really, really struggle. And I will tell you, I did confuse them. I really thought that there were some people who valued me for who I was and what I could do. But really what they valued was the access that I gave them to other things. So it was really a difficult time to kind of unwind um, the day that you're 
no longer a superintendent, the day you no longer have utility for some people. Um, that That's a challenging moment, I think, for any uh, leader. And, and it doesn't have to be a superintendent. I mean, you, you can be a principal and you're no longer a principal. You can be a business leader and no longer lead your business. Um, you know, you could be managing the, the, the school's PTA or PTSO group and all of a sudden you're out. And well, wait a minute. I thought that they liked me for, for who I was, but the reality is a lot of people today in kind of this really hyper intense 21st century environment are really looking out for themselves and not looking out for you. Yeah. And, and that's, that, 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 that's something I would like people to, to, to learn that lesson of, you know, know who you are, know the value that you bring. And really when you go through the book, what you'll see is I talk a lot about character and the development of character because I really do believe character is destiny. And so, you know, if you're honest, if you're forthright, then those virtues are going to play through. You know, one thing people have said to me is, aren't you sad that you're no longer superintendent? I I'll tell you, I no, I, you know, honestly, I, I stayed too long <laughs> as a superintendent. I really did. I probably took one more than I should have. Um, at the end of the day, um, I've just been amazed at um, the time has passed, a little bit of time has passed, um, the opportunities that are uh, now before me. Um, and I think that's because people know that I'm honest. People know that I'll tell you the truth. People know that I care deeply and passionately about you know, kids and what happens to them. Um, so I, I hope that leaders in this um, come away with really this understanding of know who you are first and foremost. And if you do that, good things will follow that. You know, um, I could relate uh, to what you just said, but also the book in that, you know, when I left the superintendency, um, I went through and I, I still do go through incredible challenges because that was who I, that was my identity, right? It was a, a problem. I mean, it, you know, there's the concept of living to work and working to live, right? I, I lived to work. It was who I was. I was a leader. And so when I intentionally stepped out of that role, it's really interesting. You know, no longer do people seek you in the same way. No longer do they um, email you, knock on your door. Um, you have to figure out how, you know, you're now going to create a new identity based upon something else. Um, even if it's related to the work like you're doing and like I'm doing, it's, it's still very different, and it is quite the knock on your identity, and um, it pushes you uh, to a degree. And I, I appreciate you bring that up, because if only I knew some of the things I know now when I was in that seat, I think I would have listened um, differently to people. I think I would have had more empathy, um, and I think I would have understood that um, while, while the work is a calling, and it is, it also is not your identity, um, other than the differences you make and the way you make people feel. So, um, stellar point. And in fact, you have a chapter called "Abandon and Alone." Right? I think that's the title of the chapter. Right here. <laughs> it is the title. A little ominous, <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, it's 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 brutally honest. So, um, and you know, it's a it's a huge connection. I think for this month is because leaders, even when they're in the seat feel abandoned and alone. It's why I started leading it. I just think that you, know, you can say the serenity prayer. You just are isolated. But why did you, you know, maybe focus on that? Maybe you can unpack the concept of being abandoned and alone. 
Well, I think it goes back to this point that we've been talking about is that, you know, when you confuse who you are with what you do, then when you no longer have that to do, you're kind of lost, you're adrift. Um, it's compounded when people that you thought cared about you as a person are no longer there for you. You know, I'll give you this example. And one thing I want to make sure that people understand about this book is I don't name names. I don't go after anybody. You know, I, I, that, there's no utility in that for me or for anyone. Um, I don't think I mentioned a name other than people that were mentors to me. But, you know, I do want to come back to this point because, you know, when I came to Charlotte, one of the things that people asked me to do was if you're a leader, will people follow you? And I said, well, yes. And one of the board members then said, well, we'll know if you're successful and if you're really a leader, if people do follow you. Now, I want to tell you that weighed on me. Um, but I reached out to a number of folks within my network and said, you know what, I'm going to start a new gig. Um, we've got a great chance to do things for kids in the Charlotte community. Will you come? And people honestly made the decision to uproot their families, to sell their homes, to move away from people that they knew and loved, their support structures, and come join me. And I really thought that those people then were all in with me. And I confused that a little bit, but they looked at the job as an opportunity for a promotion. And when I stepped away and the newspaper and some others started looking for why I stepped away and started to speculate on things, those folks were nowhere to be found. They were nowhere to be found to say, no, he left because. And, and granted, you know, I, 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 I'm, you've made this point, I'm honest, so I'll, I'll share with you. I probably couldn't have stayed much longer anyway. I mean, as my resignation came, it came because there were difficulties between me and the board. I, I, I wanna be clear about that. But I never really thought that the people who knew me well would simply ghost me and say, well, I don't wanna get swept up in the vortex around you. And that was hurtful. And that's why I think I wrote that chapter, Abandoned and Alone, because there was a period of 30 to 60 to 90 days where, you know, I walked around my house and just really thought, what happened? Where did these people go? Did they not like me really? I mean, these are people that came to my house and drank wine with me. We had picnics, we had lunches. I went to their kids' events. They came to my kids' events and all of a sudden they were gone. Um, but I, And I think there's a lesson in that for leaders. Again, it goes back to this, know who you are, know what you stand for, and you're going to be okay because ultimately that's what pulled me out of all of this was I know that I didn't do the wrong thing. I know that I never did anything unethical or untoward. I never did. Um, I know that my record on, of accomplishment for kids stands. Um, one thing I talk about in this book is, you know, how does a 40-year career get tossed away by somebody in the blink of an eye without ever knowing what you did? You know, Jeff, I can tell you, yeah. you, you know some of these things. When I was superintendent in Baton Rouge, we, we, we ended the nation's longest continually litigated desegregation case. I mean, think about that. It was a historic moment in Baton Rouge. We did that because a federal judge believed that we were doing things for kids that had never been done before and were being done right. When I went to Pinellas County, Florida, we improved graduation rates by almost 15 percentage points in four years. That meant we changed life outcomes for kids. You know, when I went to the publishing company in New York, 
We expanded business and did really good things, even during kind of a, a, a turn down in the economy. Um, so, you know, I, I know who I am. And when you get back to that, um, things were really positive. So, you know, our, our, our members, you know, let's, let's, I want to stick with this abandoned alone before I move on um, a little bit um, and maybe even ask you to potentially even repeat yourself. Our members, your superintendents, assistant superintendents, um, you know, human resources, we have, you know, kind of, it's that executive team and they, um, as they're in the job, as you know, often feel uh, also feelings of, you know, being abandoned alone because sometimes when uh, the going gets really tough, people tend to shy away. And they look to you for answers and they look to you to accept the blame. And you are on your own because you are the only person in the district with that title, right? Yeah. The board looks to you, um, whether that be if you're, a, if you're a CFO or the business manager, they look to you for the answers and advice relative to how you spend millions of dollars related and tr that translate to you know, the support for kids. It is very lonely and isolating, especially when times are tough. And right now, times are tough. And I actually think morale of leadership is at an all-time low, right? And I have a lot of subjective perspective on that just by being and supporting and talking with my members. But I think that is the case. And I think people are feeling beat up and alone. So knowing what you know now, what very simple and pragmatic to the Kind of to the point advice would you give them? You know, I, I think Jeff, the, the first thing I would say is, you know, if you're a leader and you're struggling right now, take a few minutes and step back, step away from the fray and reestablish internally. What's your true north? What is it? Why are you there? Why are you there? Because if you stay focused on the young people as you're a school leader, and providing them the kind of services and things that they need, you're going to be okay at the end of the day. The other thing I would say to a leader is be thankful. Be thankful that you're in that chair. And you might say, well, that's crazy, Clayton. But you know what I found? I found that if you're thankful, if you have an attitude of gratitude, it starts to come back to you from others. And that will buoy your spirits a little bit. That will hold you up. You know, I, I think also this is that um, you, you, if you're in this moment right now and you're feeling really depressed, listen more and talk less because what you're going to hear are people who are incredibly thankful for what you're doing. But you got to listen because the voices sometimes are low. They're maybe below the kind of the roar of the rhetoric that's created by some of these internet trolls and these people who just want to make everything bad. You know, people who got expertise. They've never done anything except go to school, but now they can run schools. And, you know, you talk about spending millions. I had, the last two districts I was in, we had billion-dollar budgets. Not million dollars, but billion-dollar business. You know, when I was in Charlotte, we had 15,000 employees. We were the second largest employer in the county. When I was in Pinellas County, it was the 22nd largest school district in the country with a billion dollar budget and a billion dollar capital budget and 9,000 employees. Uh, so I come back to this. Not all of them are going to tell you that you're doing a great job, but if you just listen more and talk less, you're going to start to hear things that will kind of get you through this. And uh, that, that's what I would say to people on a, in terms of a pragmatic thing. 
listen more, extend some grace, be thankful, um, and know what your true north is. And if you do those four things and you do them consistently, I think you'll be okay in all of this. Yeah, it's, I think it's stellar advice. I know that it was um, as as a leader and in my last district too, right? We were $1.6 billion budget and you know thousands of employees and 100,000 kids and I felt this sense of ownership. However, I wasn't always as thankful as I should have been. And when it came time when things got tough, I thought my job is my, I got to step up and I got to show people I'm stepping up. But stepping up doesn't mean you have to always do the talking. No. Sometimes you could just step up, take a breath and listen and it'll help you lead and, you know, stellar advice. So, go ahead. Excuse me. I, I said, you know, one other thing that I didn't say is, you know, I think great leaders in moments like this where they're feeling stressed should let others lead. Let others step in because they deserve the opportunity. But also when you see them leading and you start to see some of the characteristics and traits that you as a leader value, there's something that's gratifying about that that gives you kind of that inner sense of, OK, we're, we're going to be OK. Yeah. And, and it actually does to your earlier point, right? It, it's preparing them and building capacity for them because leaders don't stay forever, right? They, they just don't. So especially in the superintendencies, right? Um, so in this book, you also talk about kind of finding a, a new sense of purpose, right? And, you know, reshaping your self-image. Um, you know, district leaders are struggling, like I said, with morale and confidence and so forth. So when it comes to like that, that self-image thing, Maybe just go a little bit more into that because, I mean, you did touch on that. You're very specific on, you know, almost asking the leaders to humble themselves and be good listeners. But the self-image thing as it relates to legacy and so forth, what what advice and, you know, the book has some really poignant points on that. So can you maybe talk to a little bit more about that? Well, I, I think, you know, first of all, people who, worry about their legacy are probably the ones who won't have a strong legacy. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think what you have to worry about is the work and doing a good job and, 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 and going from there. But, you know, I, f for me, what, when I went back and viewed what was important to me, um, it was easy for me to say, you know what, I'm no longer going to be a school superintendent. That's just not in the cards for me anymore. Um, but I can continue to serve kids because that's where my passion lies. Um, I can do that by making sure that the companies and businesses that are trying to enter that space are coming in well prepared to add value and not just take out profits. Um, I, you know, I, I think that um, it, 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 for me, I don't know that you really can um, reestablish your reputation, if you will, when a lot of forces have conspired against your reputation, because people are going to believe what they want to believe. So where you have to get mentally is to a place where you say, I care, but they don't define me. What defines me is what I've done and I define myself. Um, and that's that's hard, a hard place to get to because 
I, I will tell you, when, when I read some of the things in the paper about me, I said, who are they talking about? That's not me. You know, uh, you know, it, it I, I guess, and I, and I stumble around this a little bit because it's a, it's in some ways it's painful to, to talk about in another way. It's like, I don't know that people are really going to buy into that, that, you know, what other people say about you can't define you. They're going to say, Oh yeah, yes, it does. And somebody said, well, Clayton, just do a Google search of yourself and see the newspaper articles that come up about you. That defines you. I said, well, no, no, it doesn't. It doesn't define me. What defines me is the work that I've done, the 40 years of service. And we've talked a little bit about some of the accomplishments, but, you know, I don't think that overnight I went to being a bad guy. Um, you know, I look at the awards and recognitions that I got over time. Um, I look at the kids who still stay in contact with me because their life outcomes have changed um, from their experience in either a district that I led or as a, in a classroom that I taught in. Um, so I, I, I come back to say, you know, um, you just can't let other people define you in this time. There's, there's a quote in, the, in your book. He had several of them, but this a Hemingway quote that I just loved. Yeah. And it said, the world breaks everyone, and afterward, some are strong at the broken places. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just talk about that. Why did you choose that? And um, to me, it, it's, it spoke volumes. And I'm sure, especially during times of where you can't make a good decision, our leaders they can't feel confident with any decision, right? Because it's not a snow day. It's way worse, right? It's 30-30-30. Yeah. It's not 50-50. The snow day, right? You're trying to choose the best loss because you will lose. In this case, you can't make a good decision. So there's a lot of brokenness out there. So I think this quote could speak to not just me, but more people. So what are your thoughts on this quote? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because... Um when I read the quote the first time um, I was hurting and, you know, my ego was destroyed because so I, I, the way that things ended, you know, res resigning before I thought that I was going to, um, you know, I probably would have done another term anyway. So I was maybe a year earlier than what I thought I was going to be, but um, my ego was bruised. And so when I read this, I thought, well, gosh, how do I get a sense of self back? I mean, again, it's, I'd confused with what I do with who I am. And so th that's how that really resonated with me is that, you know what, I was broken in terms of my perception of me, but I wasn't really looking at the real me. The real me was still out there. The still me was, the real me was still whole and complete. I was still a thinking, contributing human. I still had potential ahead of me. I still had years and days ahead of me. Um, you know, some other places, uh, you know, I, I always thought that I had to be the loudest, most articulate voice in the room. And, you know, Jeff, you talk a lot about, you know, you have to own the room. I, I came to the realization, no, I don't. Um, and, and so in some ways, having that mentality that I had to own the room, it was broken. I didn't have to own yeah. the room. And so now to the place where I'm really, you may not know it from this interview, but I'm a better listener than I ever was. Um, I'm someone who is much more thoughtful. I paid a lot of attention to something that I learned 20 years ago, but maybe forgot, and that's metacognition, thinking about my thinking. Why do I think what I think? And, you know, honestly, that's become really important to me um, because, you know, when we talk about social justice, when we begin talking about institutional bias, when we begin talking about institutional racism, I know that I had some thoughts about well, pull yourself up. 
but those things were really juvenile thinking. I, so thinking about my thinking has really made me a better person. And again, that's one of those things where I was broken. I believed because of the positions I'd aspired to and won that my thinking was right, but I hadn't really thought about why I thought what I thought. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Well, you know, um, we, one thing that we say, um, we, we tell our leaders don't lead alone, right? Um, which is a, which is a, a challenge for them. But I always want to push our leaders for that. We also um, stole this from my pastor, Andy Stanley, that circles are better than rows. And so um, leaders imagine circling up with Clayton Wilcox. Um, and by the way, our members have done that, right? So, because, yeah. you know, you've been such a great partner and you're just doing some great things. And not only is this um, book going to be really helpful for people, um, uh, I, just, I just want to thank you for what you're still contributing and the fact you didn't you didn't you didn't just walk away, right? You're you're still in the game in a different way, and it's it's impressive for me to see, and it inspires me as well. So, um, Clayton, as a as a friend, I just want to say thank you. Well, thank you, and thanks for the work that you're doing because you know you're giving some of us a platform to continue the work. I, I really hope that uh, you know people who see this will somebody pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Jeff, why don't you facilitate a conversation with Clayton again? Let's let's talk about leadership." Let's talk about some of these core values that really define leadership. Why should we think this way? Let's sit around a table and, and talk about how we can do better work for kids, how we can do better work for the adults who are privileged to serve our kids, how we can support our communities in new and different ways. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm thankful that you provided this opportunity and uh, I look forward to, you know, really some great days ahead. Yeah, I'll, this is either strategic or passive aggressive. What I'm about to do, so um, I'm just going to say this is as we're because we're recording this conversation. So I don't know what you're going to do. Um, so this is this is a leader chat, right? So we're talking. It's very informal. Yeah. But I'm I'm going to be pulling you in and twisting your arm to do a leader class for us. You know, where you take some of these themes and you deliver just these poignant points very specifically for our members. And so. Um, yeah, that's that's my next recruiting strategy for you, Clayton. Is we need we need to get, we need to get a leader class because you have the content and the expertise that would just help many of our members. So um, so that's next. So good luck trying to back out of that now that I have it recorded. I'm all in, Jeff. I'm all, all right. in. Sounds good. All right, Sounds great. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to say thank you. Um, I want to say I really appreciate Clayton's time. We have more leader chats to come. But in the meantime, um, uh, crisis and leadership. Um, Leading Ed is going to be purchasing a handful of these books and sending them to our members. Um, and so I'll describe to our members in an email and how we're going to do that. Um, and once again, appreciate Clayton. Everybody have a blessed day. Thank you very much. Take care. Be well.